Well, I'm going to uh, this time introduce to you Erwin Kuiat, and um, I ask you just to really have your heart open to his message here this morning. I know he spoke, uh, God spoke to me through Erwin this morning. Erwin was our area minister 20 years ago when we arrived in Kamloops, and I learned some new things about you today, Erwin, and uh, he's retired now, and uh, we've asked him to come in. He's living in uh, Salmon Arm. And he came in for the day to share a word with us. And thank you so much for being here, Erwin. Good morning, and thank you for your kind welcome. And uh, thank you, Pastor Harry. I am delighted to be here with you this morning. Uh, worship with you. Uh, see you and be encouraged by what God is doing and continues to do here at uh, Summit Drive. I'm just delighted. These are the best days for the Church of Jesus Christ, and uh, certainly for you at, at uh, Summit Drive as well. We, I believe in the imminent return of Jesus, and so these are exciting days because we have many unlimited opportunities. Um, again, thank you, Harry, for inviting me to share about the things I've learned over the years in the ministry and the things that God is still teaching me about what he's up to. And certainly the most important thing really is following Jesus. But it's not only about living for Jesus, but living for Jesus his way. Not what I think and what may be appropriate or what society may condone and may want to be. So it's really a major challenge for us today. Um, Louise and I visited you here uh, three months ago, December the 20th. And we were surprised at the warm welcome we received. I, we sat down roughly in the same place we're sitting right now where Louise is sitting. And uh, a very sharp young man came over and uh, started talking with me and uh, visited with me. And uh, I wondering, who is this guy? And uh, uh, he welcomed me so much. And I was very impressed that, I've, that he cared enough to give me his time of the day. And uh, later on, I watched as he walked to the pulpit and uh, brought a fantastic message on uh, you know, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I really came to love and respect Dave. I mean, I, he didn't know me from a doorknob, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he came over and gave me his time of day. And Harry War welcomed us so warmly. It really felt so good to be with you here on December the 20th. I'm learning so much about your church. Uh, the last time I was she was probably in uh, early 20, 2004. So a lot of things have happened here. I, uh, you've grown, uh, you know, you're reaching out and uh, um, you're, you're going to be welcoming a refugee family. Good for you. And you have a ministry to young people. And what also impressed me on the 20th of um, December was that you, you had a baseball team here. I'm assuming that all of you have season tickets to the baseball team. <laughs> Because I'm sure by now they own you, and so I'm sure you must own them. How nice of you to offer them a meal and to welcome them. Good for you for caring for your community in such a way. So it was really a, a wonderful morning for us. And so when Harry asked me to, Pastor Harry asked me to come and share with you the word of God, I, I felt humbled and honored and uh, really inadequate. Uh, I am retired, as you know, and, and seniors sometimes don't, don't mean much. You, you, you may as well know, and you know if you're you know, 65 and older, that there are people who will take advantage of us uh, when it comes to payments, uh, you know, and uh, fixing cars and all that kind of stuff. And yet it's also fun to be seniors, and seniors do get in uh, kind of uh, payback time at times. Let me tell you about George Phillips. George Phillips uh, lived in uh, Meridian, Mississippi. 
He's a retired senior, and one night he and his wife were going to bed, and uh, as she looked out the bedroom window, she saw that uh, the light was on in the garden shed in the back. And so she said, George, did you leave the light on? Do you want to go and see? So he opened the back door and to turn off the light, and lo and behold, there were people in the shed. They were stealing his stuff. And so he phoned the police and uh, told them about the fact that somebody is uh, trying to steal things from him. And uh, he, they simply asked, well, who are you? And uh, is someone in your house? And he said, no, nobody's in the house. And, and so they said, all the patrols are busy. Leave us alone. We'll, we'll look into this. Just go back to sleep. Everything's fine. Okay, says George. So he hung up the telephone and he, he counted to 30 and he called the police again. Hello, he said. I just called you a few minutes, seconds ago, and uh, I told you there are people stealing stuff from my shed. Well, you don't have to come over anymore. I just shot him. I just shot him. And then he hung up. Within three to five minutes, <laughs> you know what happened? There were three police cars there. An armed unit was there as well. I think the fire department came. And before long, they had arrested the people in the shed and uh, basically saved George's stuff. Well, after, you know, the whole thing kind of settled down, one of the policemen came to George and kind of in a uh, not so happy voice said, I, I thought you said you had shot him. And George said, I thought you said nobody was available. <laughs> I like bumper stickers that say something like, uh, I, uh, sometimes I wake up grumpy, and sometimes I let him sleep in. <laughs> but it's fun to be really retired. I'm, I'm grateful for the years God has given to me. I'm thankful for the way that God has blessed me. Life is a gift. Every day is a gift. This church is a gift. And to be with you is really a, a gift and wonderful day. We are married. Uh, you need to know that uh, Louise and I are kind of romantic. Uh, her favorite color is red. So we got married on February the 14th. It was a Friday night. Both of us were teaching school, but uh, um, that's our, our wedding day. We celebrate her anniversary on February the 14th. I should kind of also let you know that I have one thing in common with Pastor Harry. We kind of celebrate the same birthday. February 25 is a big day for him. Anyway, on my birthday this year, uh, our children came from Edmonton and, uh, and Salmon Arm, and they celebrated my, helped me celebrate my 75th birthday, and I was delighted. We have three children, two are married. Uh, our son lives in Salmon Arm with his family. Our grandson, oldest grandson, is in grade 12 and a very good basketball player, and so we enjoyed, enjoyed being with them. We have two grandchildren who were adopted from China, and uh, they call us Oma and Opa. And they're just a wonderful, delightful kids. The oldest one, Clarissa, is just a, she has picked up on the piano such a talented pianist. She came from an orphanage, and she has quite a story. Uh, the youngest one is a boy, Cameron, um, who also came from an orphanage. Cameron has all kinds of challenges, physical challenges, uh, facial challenges, but he's funny, and he is plucky. And uh, he's my kind of grandson, and uh, uh, he has still some further surgeries to correct his, uh, his cleft palate and so on, but he's just so wonderful. We are so thankful for the way God has blessed us in so many ways. So God is faithful, and God is gracious, and God is kind. Um, let me tell you, I was born in Poland. I was born in Poland when I, while a fierce and devastating war was uh, raging 
all across Europe. When I was three, just before the war ended, we were separated as a family. I remember how, remember well, how the Russian soldiers came through our village and uh, came through our yard, took whatever they wanted. Uh, I remember how scared everybody was, how dangerous those times were, um, and there was nobody to protect you. It's amazing that in all of those dastardly evil days, none of the women in our household were hurt, raped, hurt in any way. It's amazing that uh, even though we were separated as a family for about seven years, it's amazing that God uh, allowed us to leave Poland in 1950. And we were reunited in, Ger in Bremen, Germany at the train station. I still remember Dad exactly like he looked when he left when I was three years old. So I have many things to, to be thankful for. Uh, after uh, we came to Canada, there was much to learn. So I understand refugees. I was one. I remember being called a DP. Uh, you know what DP stands for, displaced person. And the way it was spoken of in our community, you knew it wasn't a nice thing to be a DP. So I understand all about being a refugee, but God was very gracious. So many things I had to learn. Uh, after high school, I attended Manitoba Teachers College. I taught school for four years, went to university. And after university, uh, Louise and I got married. And then in the fall, I, I taught, by the way, I taught two more years in high school, local high school. As, uh, I was the senior English teacher and uh, music. I was also the school counselor. After, high, after teaching high school, we uh, left for Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We packed all our belongings in a 4 by 4 by 6 U-Haul trailer and pulled it behind our car and went to seminary. Graduating in 1972, and uniquely, God brought us to Alberta, where we served at East Olds Baptist Church, uh, Rabbit Hill Baptist, Temple Baptist Church, and planted a church, Rab uh, Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church in St. Albert, where we stayed for, for 10 years. In 1994, God and the BC Association called us to be the regional minister for British Columbia. It is there that I met the church board of this church, met with them at various board meetings, at pastoral change time, and uh, uh, met many wonderful churches and people who worked with you for, uh, as an, uh, in your association for 10 years. And that's where I met Harry and Laurie. What a delightful couple. I was, I'm glad that we were here to welcome them. And, you know, you have a, a, a statement of, of, of purpose there. And then when I think and look at that, you know, Harry is a caring and passionate individual. He cares so deeply. He welcomed us and it was really good to work with him. And uh, I'm delighted that I can share the pulpit here with him. Uh, I want you to know how much I also appreciate in those years that for, for uh, almost, I think, two years, he drove out to Barrier after preaching here. He would drive out to Barrier and preach the gospel in that community and kept the community together. I met a young man here from the community whose dad is a pastor now in Barrier. And I, I still have a heart for Barrier. And I pray that God will uniquely bless that, that wonderful ministry. So after we retired here, we, God called us to ministry in Saskatchewan. And that was a good move on God's part, actually. I, I wasn't so sure initially. But it all turned out to be a very good move on God's part because when we retired, after retiring as region minister and after serving a few churches, interim-wise, uh, um, God brought us back to Salmon Arm and uh, where our kids live. And uh, as you know, BC stands for bring cash. And, and we were able to buy low in Saskatchewan and sell a bit higher. And that allowed us to bring more cash to BC and able to live here 
in this wonderful province. I am so thankful for how God has led in my life. And a number of questions have always moved me. And one of them is, why me? Why would God take this sickly kid separated in war-torn Europe? Why would he dare to bring him to British Columbia, to Canada, British Columbia? Why would he dare to entrust this church to him? Why me? I mean, it's his church. I was able to do that for a number of years. And then, you know, in that role as denomination leader, why me? I felt I was least qualified. And maybe one reason he brought me to back to BC is so that I could be here. I don't know. Maybe he needed to have me share some things from God's word. But that's a big thing for me. Why would God do that? Why, why bring me through all those things? That's a huge thing for me. And I'm so grateful for what God did for me, how kind he has been, how thankful I am for the many blessings that I have received. Uh, let, let me now make some observations of, of uh, my ministry years. And really all boils down to following Jesus. Because it's following Jesus, yes, but it's following Jesus his way. Uh, what I have seen and observed, and I, it still troubles me, is that in North America there has grow, developed what I would call a, a Christian subculture. Where we follow Jesus, but we do it on our own terms. We really don't ask him, Lord, where are you leading? What's your vision for this congregation? We just know what Christianity is, and we're going to leave it, leave it this way. As... Um, discussion with one pastor seemed to indicate that his expectations were that as long as people came to church, listened to his sermon, made sure that the light bills were paid for, come back next Sunday, if they just behave themselves, it's a wonderful life. And following Jesus and all of that. Well, my dear friends, it's uh, I think a little bit more, and I'm concerned about that we have come to the stage and I'm not suggesting you are like that. I'm suggesting that these are the concerns that I have, and I want to talk to you a bit about that, that indeed we need to remember that to follow Jesus, we need to do it on his terms. It's not about how we feel about it, what we think, because we could all be wrong. And so it's important that we follow Jesus in the way that he wants us to follow him. Let, let me share with you some things that are, have really kind of touched me. And I have seen the stagnation of attendance. Um, most congregations haven't grown much. Uh, the hair of the people coming has grown much grayer. Uh, not too many young people in a number of the churches. I observe that 84% um, of the young people grown up in Christian homes who even have gone to a vibrant youth group, no longer there. They refuse to come to church. They've forgotten about the church. And I think they have seen us play games. And they wanted to be discipled. They want something firm. They want to be Jesus' followers in a real way. I, I have seen the lack of consistent Bible teaching in the churches. There are a few Sunday schools. Sunday schools for adults? Who cares? We know everything. Who needs to really learn about God's Word anymore? Um, and I'm really concerned about a few prayer meetings I have yet to hear in the last 20 years, hear of a church that has a prayer meeting to pray for the lost. No coffee, no Bible study, just pray for the lost. Because people without Jesus are lost. Really, really lost. So I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about the critical spirit, the infighting in the churches that I have seen, the power struggle about vision in the congregations. 
These are all troubling things. And, you know, I, as a regional minister, I was kind of caught in the middle. I was supposed to fix things. But how can you fix a whole culture where people believe they're following Jesus, but they're doing it as his way, their way, not his way? And so I'm really concerned about those kinds of things. And then things happen like church fights, church splits. Things like church leaders who sexually abuse boys. Uh, pastors who are caught with pornography in their office. Men in a church who watch pornography night after night. So I'm saying there's a problem here. And yet we all believe we're Christians. And the thing that has bothered me about all of this, my dear friends, is that I, I don't remember one church service where people have repented. Where they've come together and said, Lord Jesus, we're sorry for the way we've lived. We need to deal with the pastor. We're sorry about the splittings and, and divisive spirit in our congregation. No sense of repentance, whatever. And yet we celebrate communion. Yet we celebrate communion, all of that. So you understand why I, I'm, I'm really concerned that there's a subculture and there's a sense of following Jesus, yes, and God owes us because we're here and we'll come back again next Sunday morning. Everything's just fine. And my concern is that to follow Jesus, we need to do it his way. We need to do it his way. And I believe the only way we can do that is by getting back into the Word. Let, let me share with you what uh, uh, I have learned too late. I'm a pastor and I should have known. But I've learned too late. How important it is to read the Word of God on your own, together, with your wife. So for the last number of years, I don't know how many it is, we've, we read a chapter of, of God's Word to each other every night. She reads a chapter, I read a chapter. Initially, we began by reading our favorite chapters to each other. And then it became, got to the stage where we started at one end of the book and went to the other. And so we're right now in the book of Proverbs. And because Proverbs are Proverbs, you know, 35 verses of terse and verses, you know, you just basically do half a chapter. She reads half a chapter, I read half a chapter. We talk a bit about it because it is God's word. It's amazing what you learn. And it all, that journey actually began uh, when we were challenged by, she was challenged by someone of one of the ladies' retreat to read a chapter of God's Word 40 days, the same chapter, 40 days in a row. We did. Now, the lady who introduced us to the concept indicated that after each series of 40 readings of the same chapter for 40 days, there were miraculous things happened in, in their life. And you know it's true for us too? Miraculous things happen. After the reading of one of those 40 sessions, we received news of our granddaughter coming from China. We had prayed for many, many years. But it's amazing what you learn about God when you read the same chapter 40 days in a row. Amazing how you get to know him. Amazing. I, I learned so much. I had a whole years of preaching <laughs> just from reading one chapter of God's Word. Then you get to know him. So I'm suggesting to you, my dear people, that it is important to you and I that we follow Jesus his way more than ever and that we do that by reading God's word more than ever. So this morning we want to take a few minutes to look at God's word and the passage I want to read from is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You have the outline before you and those are the three points that will be part of the discussion this morning. I'm going to ask, to stand, ask you to stand. This is God's word, and out of respect for God's word, would you please stand? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, 
because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. This is the impl imploring. We beg you, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That's God's word. You may be seated. So let me kind of, through, from this passage, share with you some of the things that God is teaching me about following Jesus his way. And I think there are three essential things that are very significant. You have them in the outline before you. One of these is that we choose the new passion and identity. We choose. In fact, we continue to choose. It's not something we did when we came to Jesus at camp. It's something that we do today and tomorrow. We continue to choose a new passion and identity. When you read verses 14 and on in this passage, you will sense that Paul's great passion there. You know, he understands Christ's love. And he says, Christ's love compels us. He talks about being convinced. Convinced of the truth that if Christ died for all, then really all of us died. And if all of us died, then the question is why and what's the purpose of it all? We died so that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And then this wonderful verse in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, who comes to Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and, gone and the new has come. It's a wonderful passage about passion. And I think the danger is for me and probably for all of us that, you know, the love we have for Jesus can kind of grow slack, a bit dim. And what was so new and so powerful seemingly no longer inspires us and we want to be tickled by new, new truths and new this and new that and instead of re-fanning the flame of loving Jesus. So choose this new passion, which is ours in Jesus Christ, this new identity that is ours in Jesus Christ, if anyone is in Christ. Jesus, in talking to uh, Nicodemus and Peter and writing about it, says that when we see Jesus in a new light, we are born again. Mentally, we are changed. You know, we are changed. Our spirit is changed. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. There's a newness 
Society no longer understands us and we see things differently because the spirit dwells within. So all things are new from attitudes to every way. And uh, I, I'm so delighted about that. And no wonder Paul felt passionate about it. And I believe that to follow Jesus his way means that we need to be passionate about him. Now there will be people who will reject you if you're passionate about Jesus. It's okay to be passionate about religion. It's okay to go to church. But just don't let this stuff get away with you. Get away with you. And so the whole point is, my dear friends, if we follow Jesus, there needs to be an, an ongoing new passion and identity. I am who I am in Jesus. And he means everything to me. But there's a second part in this uh, following Jesus his way, and that is if we follow his passion, him passionately, then also follows that we need to reject. Reject the old. Reject the worldly point of view and continue to reject it. It never stops happening at all. It just continues. Notice what it says here. Verse 16, Paul writes, So from now on, as a believer, passionately in love with Jesus, so from now on, we regard no one, here's a phrase, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's scriptural. Worldly point of view. The most telling thing about you and me when we become Christians is that we see people differently. We see their value differently. We have a different perspective on who they are. Before we became a Christians, you know, we would run to the Wayne Gretzky's and the mayors and uh, to the movie stars. And we would overlook the poor and the neglected and the refugees. Now we see things differently, clearly. The mayor is just as important as the addict who's just come to know Jesus. We see people differently. And we see people no longer from a worldly point of view. And there was a time before we became Christians, but that's how we saw Jesus. Just as a teacher. Just as a some, somebody, a nobody. But now he's different. And again he comes back to verse 17. In Christ we are a new creation. But you know, that's why we reject the old point of view. And one of the things that is part of our old nature is a very key thought to all of us. You know, all of us believes we are always right. In any discussion with your wife or with your husband, you know you're right. Any discussions on a board with a pastor, you're right. Any discussion with your neighbor, even though the discussion is intense about offense, you know you're right. See, that, that's just common human nature. But when God changes us, we begin to understand, you know, that the other person may be right too. And we need to talk. In fact, the problem is when everybody thinks they're right, you're headed for a collision. Conflict, right? And then people have, churches have splits. Youth pastors leave. Things happen that you just don't go to church anymore. People don't care in this church. And so, you know, when we become changed, you know, we reject the old way of doing things. We bite our tongue more. We ask God to help us to understand the other persons, to love them. And the old way of life, my dear friends, is so often represented by what we read in Titus chapter 3. Paul reminds his writer, readers, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient. We were deceived by drugs, by pornography. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
We lived in malice, in envy. We were hated and we were hating one another. And then God came into our lives. And so my dear friends, in following Jesus, we reject all that. And it's not something that you and I do once. It's something we do regularly. We just have to. We reject that old lifestyle. We are new in Jesus Christ. What makes matters worse is that we have a, a, an enemy who constantly is at us. And writing to his, the Christians, Peter writes, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. And so in following Jesus, his way, we need to be on spiritual battlefront. Reject the old stuff. That's a hard choice some days. And I pray that it'll be more and every part of your life and my life. But there's a third thing in this passage. We also need to engage in our most significant assignment. In fact, continue to engage in our most significant assignment. Let, let me read these verses with you again. At verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice how often reconciliation occurs here. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then there's this key phrase here, this key word, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. A new identity, a new commission, ambassadors for life. You know an ambassador represents one country to another. Now Jesus has no other body, no one else in the world except the church, except the believers who represent his kingdom, his nation to our society. You are that ambassador. You are that ambassador. And so we beg people to become reconciled with God. That's the message. We need to understand more than ever that the lost are really lost. That hell is for real. Hell is for real. And so we plead with God, we plead with them, and we take our ambassadorship seriously, as seriously as we can. And I pray, my dear friends, that uh, following Jesus will be this for you too. That you will embrace your new identity, your position in this world, in society. No one else is going to do this. No one else can, unless they're born again. And so you are an ambassador. You smile in a welcoming way to people. They love to be around you. You shake hands. You do things for people. You are just different. You represent the, the air of a new country, of a different way of living. That's following Jesus fully in his own way. So this morning, I, let me challenge you to, to rethink your way of following Jesus. And may this be a day of renewing the vows and following him his way. To understand who we are and to, to be the kind of people that God would want us to be at a time like this. Let, let me encourage you, if you have been a Christian for a number of years, encourage you this, this day to, to see yourself in your new position, in your new identity. And uh, maybe in, in line with verse 1 of chapter 6, maybe you believe that you have received God's grace in vain. Uh, renew your vows and affirm that you are God's representative. And say, Lord, here I am. I accept it. I accept this lifetime appointment 
to be your ambassador. I accept your appointment to understand the people around me, to see people differently and to tell them about being reconciled, that Christ died for them, that I, I can be uniquely used of, of you to, to help them cross the line from being lost to being saved. Maybe this, this morning you're saying, Erwin, I don't even know Jesus. I'd like to be his follower, but I'm not. You know, right now, right where you're sitting, you can simply say, Lord Jesus, I've left you out of my life long enough. I know so much about you, but come in. Forgive my sins. Jesus has already reconciled me. Come in, make me clean. I want to be your follower. You know, if you pray that prayer and by faith, you know what's going to happen to you? You'll be born again. There'll be a change. And all the things that we talked about here this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will be yours. A new you, a new identity, a new sense of mission, a rejection of all the old stuff that has bothered you and has been a, a, a bad, critical part of your life. Let me take a minute here and tell you a story. I have to do that. It's a story of a lady who became an ambassador for Jesus. Her name is uh, Catherine Luz, Laws. In 1921, her husband, uh, Louis Laws, became the warden at Sing Sing Prison. You've heard of that terrible place. No place is tougher than Sing Sing. And when she came to that place, she determined, she had three small children, that she would be somehow supportive to her husband and landlocked as she was, that she would make a difference. And so over the years, she actually would take the kids to the basketball games in the prison. These are tough guys, as tough as they come. Over the weeks and months, uh, they came to respect her, protect her. Uh, she learned Braille to help those who were blind, sign language. When she died in a car accident, those tough guys would say that she was Jesus in prison. Now listen. If Catherine Laws made a difference as God's ambassadors in Sing Sing, I think you and I can make a difference as ambassadors where we are, right? Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life and the gift of your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us and giving us a new purpose. Everything is new. It's different. Thank you that we represent you. And it's not over. It's not over until you call us home. Thank you for the high calling. And dear God, this morning I pray that each one of us here would more than ever want to follow you your way. That whatever the subculture may be, whatever society expects really isn't important. It's important to follow you, you Jesus, your way and the way you want it to be done. So here we are. Teach us through your word. We ask this morning to forgive us our sins where we have been stubborn, where we have felt so proud about being Christians and yet not following you. So here this morning, here we are. Bless us. And I pray, Father, a, a very special blessing on the pastors in, in this church, all of them, uh, including Dave and Jordan and Harry and the secretaries and the leadership and I pray that as they follow you fully, your way, that the city will never be the same, and that you would work your ambassadorship for your glory until Jesus comes. 
Thank you for hearing us. Amen.